Alright guys, my set is coming to an end. Um, it is 6pm, you are listening to WNUR 89.3 FM in HD1 Evanston, Chicago, and I will be handing it off to the lovely news folks, so you'll be hearing from them shortly. In the meantime, I don't know if you guys are ready right now. Okay, perfect. Well, I will hand it right off to them.
Live from WNUR News, I'm Sean Graves. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, January 26. Tonight on WNUR News, in Evanston mobilizing for the election. On TV, award season underway. And on TikTok, a new feminine aesthetic. Plus a look ahead at exciting concerts. Those stories coming up on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. With the Iowa caucus complete and the New Hampshire primary votes counted, it's time to turn to local political organizations to hear what their mobilization efforts are for the 2024 presidential election cycle. Erica Schmidt has the story. The 2024 presidential primaries are already beginning. On January 15th, Iowa held the Republican Presidential Caucus. Donald Trump was projected as the winner of this state. It went exactly as expected. New Hampshire's presidential primary was just a few days ago. The Associated Press has just called this race for former President Donald Trump. But what is going on in Illinois, or more specifically, in the Chicagoland region? Here are a few things to know. Number one. On March 19th, Illinois residents will be voting in the presidential primary. Number two, from August 19th to the 22nd, the Democratic National Convention will be held in Chicago. And number three, political organizations, both grassroots and party affiliated, are taking mobilization efforts. For the primary, basically what we're trying to do is focus on getting people registered. That's one of our main areas because we know that if we can get young people registered, they generally vote Democratic because they support all the issues the Democrats support. That was Candace Davis, a leadership team member of Indivisible Evanston. Indivisible Evanston is a national grassroots organization with chapters across the country. The Evanston branch reaches about 1,700 inboxes each week through their newsletter and the primary agenda to fight Trumpism and the Trump agenda. Davis and the other four members of the leadership team for Indivisible Evanston are beginning to mobilize for this upcoming election cycle from canvassing door to door to creating informational postcards. A lot of the focus is on a younger demographic. Our biggest concern is that the Democrats don't win. I think we're very optimistic that We're going to be able to do that, but we all recognize that it's going to take a huge grassroots effort to make sure to win the trifecta. What we struggle with, a lot of young people turn off to politics. They hate the rhetoric. They hate the people screaming at each other. And somehow, I think a lot of people think that their vote doesn't matter. Also working to register young voters is Northwestern University's NU Votes. According to their website, NU Votes is a nonpartisan initiative from Northwestern Center for Civic Engagement, quote, designed to provide the NU community with accessible and understandable information about voter registration and voting procedures, unquote. Sespi third year Amani Billups is a fellow at the Center for Civic Engagement with a specific concentration in the NU Votes program. He said getting people out to the primaries is his biggest concern, too. Especially because it's not 
as uniform as like the general election will be, where it's just, you know, the one day in November. Here it's, there's a bunch of different days. Like states have a bunch of different rules for how they run their elections. And that applies to the general, but especially for primaries. Students involved with NU Votes must know about voting rules in different states, as Northwestern students come from all across the country. Billups said that NU Votes talks to students about going through like the different reasons for why you may want to vote at home or here. We kind of talk about, you know, where are you more connected to the politics? Um, where are you more concerned about the issues at hand? Where do you feel your, your votes might have the most impact? And then also, what is your preferred method of voting? And all of these questions are important for voting. But Billups said that mail-in voting is especially prevalent. I feel like that emphasis has risen since like the 2020 elections. And that's really how an even larger amount of people began voting through. And I think that kind of normalize voting by mail a lot more. So that's kind of an even bigger part of uh, what we try to do with students now. Outside of Northwestern and Evanston, Indivisible's focus has turned to the swing state of Wisconsin. Just north of the Illinois border, Davis said their hope is to get younger voters Billups mentioned to mobilize for the election cycle. We support an effort in Wisconsin to register people at the Department of Motor Vehicles because people have to come in there and spend an hour or so getting their licenses. And that's a great place to say to people, are you registered to vote? Here's a form we can help you get registered to vote. So it's those kinds of things. And then also voter registration events at schools. Although not a grassroots organization, the Democratic Party of Evanston has a similar goal to Indivisible Evanston's of mobilizing residents. Rachel Rottenberg, the board president for the Democratic Party of Evanston, shared that. Anytime that we are re-electing our Democratic president, it is always a little harder to get people out and to get people energized. You know, when you vote for a presidential candidate for the first time, often you see like a swell of volunteer energy and dollars coming in to support that candidate. And Evanston Democrats are especially cognizant of the upcoming election cycle, as former President Donald Trump has already won the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. Unfortunately, we are here yet again, like sort of staring down the most important election of our lifetime. I mean, it almost feels cliche now to say that because we've said it so many times. But as our democracy gets sort of closer and closer to being threatened, we again have to just say, like, we cannot stand by and, and sit at home for these elections. Rottenberg said that Evanston's Democratic Party plans to send a lot of volunteers beyond the state of Illinois to Canvas in hopes of influencing the election results there. This effort is in partnership with other political organizations in Evanston, like Indivisible Evanston and Personal PAC. And we'll likely work together in the coming months to do some buses to Wisconsin to make sure we can get folks out canvassing and knocking doors in swing states. That's really a focus of ours and with our proximity to the Wisconsin border. In addition to traditional door-to-door -door advocacy, Evanston Democrats have become heavily involved across the country via phone calls in 2020. When Biden was elected for the first time, we were one of the leading Midwest local Democratic parties running the Biden election dialer program. So it's their phone banking program over Zoom and, and through the phone banking. And so we were able to organize hundreds and hundreds of people in the weeks leading up to the election to be able to get out the vote during that pandemic year. So 
We anticipate being part of that filmmaking program again and to have lots of opportunities for Evanston folks and, and folks in surrounding areas. Volunteers even made calls to Georgia. We were calling into Georgia to help folks cure ballots long after the election because they had, you know, they were still counting in Georgia. And so there was still work to be done and our folks were still on the phone helping to get those ballots cured and, and make sure the numbers were, were good in Georgia. As local Evanston and Northwestern organizations take action, Davis believes political organizations will have an impact on the election cycle. I think people need to realize that there is something they can do, even if it's just picking up the phone and calling their representatives. People don't realize how much power they have. And I think that's our message is people who say, oh my God, this is awful. You need to get out there and do something and there's something you can do and it will make a difference. As you begin to cast those votes, maybe look to local political groups for some help. From WNUR News, I'm Erica Schmidt. Thanks, Erica. Award season is in full swing. Ella Smith is back to tell us what Northwestern students think of the season so far and what to expect in the coming weeks. grateful for this for so many reasons thanks so much guys every single one thank you so much um i love you um i would like to thank the hollywood farm press for this award thank you thank you uh i am i'm so uh proud um i i'm so full of gratitude to be standing in front of you all while january is obviously known for being the beginning of the year it's also known for being the beginning of something else the award season. Every year, nominations and award ceremonies for awards bodies like the Golden Globes, Critics' Choice Awards, and the Oscars are held this month. Because it was postponed by the SAG after strike this summer, even the Emmys were held on January 15th. Well, hello friends, and welcome to our Emmys neighborhood on this beautiful MLK day. The viewerships for each of these award shows are experiencing downward trends. At its height, the Golden Globes drew 20 million viewers. On January 7th, only 9.4 million Americans tuned in to watch the award ceremony. The Emmys reached an all-time low last week, at only 4.3 million viewers. So, why haven't people been watching these award shows like they used to? I'm Melody. I feel like I watch a lot of, like pop culture stuff but I always seem to miss the award shows because like, I just never know when they're going on. I'm Maya. I don't really hear about the award season shows unless there's a controversy and it sort of makes it out to other platforms. I'm Ariel. I only really see award shows when something that people consider iconic happens or if I watch a show and an actor wins an award for that then I'll probably get it on my feet at some point. So I mostly obtain all my information through osmosis. I'm Ida. You're not saying that people only watch it for controversy but I think that's like that's the main reason why people watch it. Nowadays, people don't have to sit through hours of speeches and red carpets to see the juiciest moments from these events. They just appear in social media feeds the morning after. Any controversies that arise become the subjects of Twitter threads or TikTok videos. 
So far, the biggest controversy to come from this year's award season will be Joe Coy's comedy, or lack thereof, as the host of the Golden Globes. Oppenheimer answered a lifelong question that's been on my mind for years. Yes, scientists do get laid. Award shows are a chance to celebrate people and their accomplishments, so I think if comedians can find a way to bring humor to the, the situation, but also uplift people in this uh the same time that would be good i thought it was lame i think you could have done better the fact that he started to try to take blame off himself also just makes him even more lame when you remove the laugh track it's really not funny in the face of declining ratings and relevance what can these awards bodies do to improve their reputations Maybe, like, get a more relevant host. If they had someone that people were really excited about hosting, like, I feel like a lot more people would tune in. One big concern in making award shows more relevant is diversity. Each year, awards bodies break their own records by nominating and awarding more marginalized artists. But some big questions still remain. Who is eligible to vote for these shows and films? Whose responsibility... This was the blackest Emmys ever. I was can we, can, we, can we talk about that? Whose responsibility is it to make these spaces more open? I think it's happening more now where people who I know and people who I enjoy are being more included because it's not as much of like an old white man's club in anymore. Just continuing that trend I think will make it more relevant. I think Hollywood itself could do a better job and not necessarily the award shows. I think just opening opportunities for more minorities um, and movies and then once that happens, which might not be for a long time but hopefully happens soon, then the award shows will have to, will have to recognize them. Award shows have a long way to go if they want to regain the popularity and influence they once had, but there are plenty of things they can do to get there. For WNUR News, I'm Ella Smith. On TikTok... Users have been tying bows onto dresses, their boyfriends and even chicken nuggets, all to the tune of Lana Del Rey in celebration of the feminine aesthetic. But where exactly did this coquette trend come from? Mika Ellison and Ilse von Heimberg have the answers. Breakup texts? Earrings? A baguette? A cake shaped like the Lorax? What do all these have in common? They're objects that, according to the internet, have been coquettified. Coquette is an aesthetic that started as a trend on TikTok, but has spread to the realms of fashion, music, and beyond. Characterized by pastel pinks, frills, and bows, as well as by the music of Lana Del Rey, the aesthetic exemplifies hyperfemininity. Medill senior Alea Wilkins, a managing editor at the campus fashion magazine Stitch, has been seeing the trend both online and in person. I've seen young people put like ribbons on their bags or just like ribbons, like just sort of to like accessorize anything. But like I've seen it on bags, I've seen it on headphones. And I know that's like a meme right now, of, or maybe it was like a couple weeks ago of like putting a bow on like random things and then being like, it's like the Lana Del Rey song in the background. <laughs> TikTok is a haven for trends and hyper-specific aesthetics like the mob wife aesthetic, mermaid core, and the tomato girl aesthetic. 
The coquette aesthetic, however, has stood the test of time, first gaining popularity in 2021 and becoming one of the defining trends of 2022 and 2023. It's part of a trend embracing traditional hallmarks of femininity that has been growing in popularity. Middle freshman Rachel Yoon sees the trend as forming a deeper connection with the sense of the feminine. I think it's a lot of girls trying to like reclaim their girlhood or their womanhood maybe. Um, I don't know if it's like that deep, but you know, like it's just, I don't know, like feeling pretty. And also like in fashion, we've been seeing a lot of bows, a lot of like ribbon stuff, a lot of that like specific shade of red. The coquette aesthetic has come under fire for seeming too regressive at times. Its resemblance to Lolita fashion, which infantilizes women, and its proximity to cottagecore can cause it to veer dangerously close to this stay-at-home girlfriend phenomenon. Like, having learned the definition, I know there's kind of this, like, underlying sense of, oh, like, it actually means to be, like, a flirtatious woman, but, like, the image we're thinking of is very girly and youthful, so there's kind of that, oh, like, maybe this is sort of, like, sexualizing young girls, but also... I feel like I haven't seen it that way or it doesn't feel that way to me because I personally really like it. I really like that style. And I feel like the way I've seen it more online and on campus even is more kind of reclaiming girlhood or like a reclamation of it and just like kind of celebrating like really cute and girly things and just kind of like taking ownership of that and enjoying them. In fact, Coquette's historical and linguistic roots are tied to a complicated view of gender. The word is originally French and is commonly translated to mean a woman who flirts, but its origins are illuminating. It's literally, it comes from the word cock for rooster, and then the et on the end of it, it makes it immediately this kind of gender-confused type, who's basically like a woman who's acting roosterish, right? Like kind of calling a little too much preening attention to herself. That was Teresa Braunschneider, a professor at the University of Michigan. She wrote a book on the emergence of the concept of a coquette in 18th century England. Although the style and the type are often associated with 18th century France and the aristocracy, the English version of the coquette bears some striking resemblances to the modern day one. The typical coquette is described as she's young, unmarried, vain, and really interested in calling attention to herself, usually through the kind of display of luxury goods. So it's silk fans, ribbons, lace, brocaded petticoats, hoop skirts, and then also some, a lot of times exotic pets like lap dogs, monkeys, parrots. And all of this is to call attention to herself and to like put herself in a position where lots of men can see her and will notice her as she's displaying all of these luxury goods. And, you know, when I'm flipping through Instagram, I'm seeing a lot of ribbons and lace and even like hats with bows on them. <laughs> and that, that is weirdly resonant of the early 18th century coquette. Yoon articulated those echoes of the past she's seen on TikTok. I've seen like, you know, the dogs with the bows on them. I've seen people like wrap ribbons around their boyfriends and make bows. And there was this one TikTok that was like 
almost kind of concerning. It was like a knife with a bow around it. I was like, oh girl. The concept of the coquette is tied to two ideas that have survived to the present day. Power through both consumerism and power over men. And the coquette is like definitively single. She's just encouraging that their attention but very much yeah a kind of celebration of women's single status and, and women women trying to maintain that as long as they can in a cultural social domain where to be socially successful they will and economically viable they will ultimately get married but mm -hmm. they're trying to delay that as long as possible so yeah it's a it's about singlehood in 18th century england the idea of leading on men was more than just a flirtation it was a refusal of the economic bondage of marriage. Encouraging a lot of men is actually saying no to all of them in a way, right? It's a refusal of marriage. It's a refusal of that narrative toward narrowing down your options. Like encouraging a, a lot of a sexual attention is actually a way of refusing sexual subjugation. And thinking about why that's a critique of the, the marriage norms within a heteronormative logic is one character who says, why would I give up having... 50 men at my feet to be at the feet of one man. The coquette also carries the connotation of a woman using her purchasing power to beautify and adorn herself with rare goods. Since it was introduced as an idea and word in England, it has been very strongly associated with consumption, particularly of luxury goods, particularly of imported goods in a time of increased global trade. In the modern day, the consumption of girly goods and aesthetics is at an all-time high, with movies like Barbie leading the charge of femininity. As ever, money is a way for people to indicate what they value. Wilkins says she's also bought into the coquette aesthetic. I have spools of ribbon in my, in my closet right now, and I also have ballet flats, and I have heart-shaped jewelry, so... I've kind of like run the gamut on like coquette trends, but yeah, I like it. Although festooning yourself and your pet cat with ribbons and bows might seem frivolous at first, for many women the coquette aesthetic has been an important way to reclaim the sense of the feminine that they may have rejected or disliked as children. I feel like a lot of women have that kind of memory of pushing away their mm -hmm. girlhood because they didn't want to feel like a quote-unquote like girly girl because because they might like get made fun of or something as it turns out the coquette is much more than a regressive girly girl aesthetic it's been around for centuries and even at its start it stood for a version of womanhood that emphasized the economic freedom to do whatever you wanted decorate your jewelry with pink bows make your own decisions and go out whenever and with whoever you wanted because there's also the sense like they're they'd be like clubbing you know they were like going to all of the fashionable places in london for WNUR News, I'm Mika Ellison. And I'm Ilsa von Heimberg. Thanks, Ilsa and Mika. For all the concerts you've been meaning to go to this quarter, WNUR has got you covered. Every Friday, Concert Countdown highlights the weekend and following week's upcoming shows in the Evanston, Chicago area. We'll also keep you up to date on other major music announcements. Welcome to Concert Countdown, WNUR News' comprehensive guide to upcoming shows in the Evanston and Chicago area. From Evanston Space, 
to House of Blues and more, if you're looking to see some live music this weekend, you've come to the right place. Starting off local, Lisa Fisher and Brendan Abernathy are performing in Evanston. Singer Lisa Fisher's voice is behind iconic songs from The Rolling Stones, Tina Turner, Nine Inch Nails, and more. After working as a background singer for four decades, she was featured in the 2013 film 20 Feet from Stardom to share her journey. Now this Sunday, Fisher finally takes center stage. On January 28th, she is playing two shows at Evanston Space tomorrow. Doors open for the afternoon show at 4 p.m. and the later show at 7 p.m. Tickets are $25. On Thursday, catch Brendan Abernathy with Dylan Owen at Evanston Space. The new seven-track album follows up to Abernathy's debut 2022 album, Single in Love. The indie singer-songwriter is wrapping up the Long Way Home tour. Evanston is the third to last stop, ahead of Minneapolis and Madison. To listen live, doors open at 7 p.m., and tickets are just $15. Coming up in Chicago, we've narrowed our selection down to performances from 999, Brenda, and Josh Tong, ahead of Joanna Connor Band and Omar Coleman Band. Tonight at Metro, you can see a performance straight off the Chicago club scene. 999, Brenda, and Josh Tong will be in Chicago for a 9 p.m. show. The 18-plus event is going on until 4 a.m., Tickets are just $35 for tonight's rave-like Metra show. Another option for tonight, catch world-famous blues music at North Halstead. Joanna Connor Band and Omar Coleman Band are playing at Kingston Mines in Chicago. The venue features two bands on two stages. The Doors and Kitchen open at 7 p.m. and stay open until 4 a.m. You can get tickets for $20, online or at the club. Next, we've got some new music. Megan Thee Stallion just dropped a single. Meg's latest release is called Hiss. The single appears to be a diss track aimed at Nicki Minaj. Megan appears to mock Nicki's husband, referencing his sex offender status. It may only be a matter of time before we get a response track from Nicki. That's all we've got for you this week. Tune in next Friday to find out about more concerts happening near you. For WNUR News, I'm Justine Fisher. Now, despite the dissipating fog, cloudy conditions are here to stay for the rest of January. Plus, how to stay safe on slippery sidewalks. Georgia Kerrigan talks tips for dealing with these conditions and what to look forward to despite their dreariness. I'm Georgia Kerrigan. Welcome back to Fairweather Friends. Each week, we give you a peek into the local and national weather. Amid yesterday's fog, you could have fooled me into doing a weather report for San Francisco. But with the advisory lifted, I think I've got it figured out. From Evanston, Illinois, this is Fairweather Friends. Here's the weather. The last weekend of January is upon us, and it seems that we've gotten the worst weather this month had to offer out of the way. I don't know about everyone else, but I've been braving the comparatively warm conditions without a coat, much to the dismay of my mom. Yesterday's dense fog advisory warned Chicagoland drivers and pilots of low visibility in the area. Over 250 flights departing from O'Hare and Midway were canceled. To all of you glasses wearers struggling with misted lenses yesterday, 
know that I see you, even if you couldn't see for yourself. Despite the cloud coverage reaching 99% in the next few days, we won't be facing the same freezing temperatures as last weekend. Temperatures are expected to stay in the 30s with some breeziness. This weekend, we'll see a slight chance of precipitation, but don't go reaching for your umbrella. It's only expected to be a mild drizzle. Despite the dreary conditions, there's no need to get all misty-eyed. The sun is expected to make a grand reappearance by next Saturday, accompanying a high of 45 degrees. Forecasts predict that February will begin with temperatures in the 40s for at least a week before they dip again. You might have noticed that even though snow isn't falling right now, we pavement pounders sure are. I'll be the first to admit that I became one with the ground this week after slipping on some black ice, but you don't have to join the club. Black ice is thin, practically invisible ice that blends in with asphalt and pavement. It can get the best of us, even when we're looking out for slick spots. Here are some tips for staying upright in these conditions. Number one, when possible, walk in areas that are visibly salted. Remember, black ice is transparent. If you see a path without salt on it, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. Take caution. Number two, wear boots or shoes with good traction. I know it might not seem appealing to wear your grippiest shoes if they don't match the fit, but you'll thank me when they save you. And lastly, take your time. The Orthopedic Associates of Michigan recommends taking short, shuffled steps with your feet slightly spread out. If it works for the penguins, it can work for you too. ABC7 meteorologist Tracy Butler said to expect snowmelt soon with rising temperatures in the Chicago area. But until then, stay shuffling and stay safe. That's all for this week's edition of Fairweather Friends. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I bid you clear-ish skies and salty sidewalks. In Evanston, Illinois, Georgia Kerrigan, WNUR News. Some not-so-fair weather. Now we turn to the headlines. Demolition of the nearly century-old Ryan Field is set to begin next week. Don't expect dynamite or wrecking balls, though. The piece-by-piece process will likely take months, and Northwestern aims to open the new and controversial stadium in late 2026. Not far from Ryanfield, a fire this morning damaged the locker room, a store which hawks Northwestern apparel on Central Street. The cause of the fire remains unclear, but no injuries uh, were reported. Chicago snowplows could get some creative names. Finalists in a city contest include Chillinois, The Magnificent Pile, and a tribute to meteorologist Tom Skilling, Skilling It. Residents can vote on the finalists until next month, the Tribune reported. And that's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNURnews.org. That's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Paul O'Connor, and our reporters are Erica Schmidt, Ella Smith, Mika Ellison, Joseph von Heimberg, and Georgia Kerrigan. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Sean Graves. Catch our next newscast on Monday, January 29th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.